Hello, this is On Mike with Jordan Rich. Now, I've interviewed thousands of folks in my career, and every once in a while, something a little different happens. Today is one of those days. I invited Bob Katzen to join me, a freelance writer, a reporter, a broadcaster, a proud baby boomer who's been an entertainer in the New England area as a disc jockey, both on the air and at parties for decades. He's hosted all kinds of music programs, trivia and nostalgia shows, and he's a really fun dude. So I thought, hey, we'd talk about his career, about some of the interesting experiences he's had. Uh, not quite. Bob turns the tables on me. First time it's happened, perhaps ever, and it was a lot of fun responding to his questions about me. So, as the victim of an interview ambush, it gives you a chance to learn more about me and catch some of my snappy comebacks. In any event, Bob Katzen is a terrific guy, loves people, loves to laugh, and it's great to have him join us as he takes me for a little trip down memory lane right here on Mike. So before we get into the business, show business, which is your life, let's talk about the bagels. What's going on uh, when you're a kid in the tough streets of Marblehead, Bob? The mean streets of Marblehead. Oh, mean, mean, alliteration, of course. <laughs> Most kids had a uh, paper route. I had a paper route, actually, too. Back Mrs. Parks at uh, 12 Aubindale Road still owes me $3.50 from 1963. Do you know what that would be worth in today's dollars? Wow. Fortune, I, you know, 1960. You know, yesterday, June 13th, was the X amount of anniversary of my bar mitzvah, June 13th, 1944. Well, you know what? Mine is May 15th, so we were pretty close. Are you a Gemini by any chance? Leo. Ah, okay. All right. Like Uncle Leo from Seinfeld. That kind of thing. <laughs> Uncle Leo, just about. All right, let's get back to the bagels here. What What's going on? Yes, yeah, so uh, my brother and I, we were called the Bagel Boys. Jewish, obviously grew up in a Jewish neighborhood in Marblehead. And we decided, gee, let's figure out a way to start a business. And we started delivering bagels. We went around the neighborhood and took orders for bagels what, <laughs> to be delivered on Sunday morning. And people said, well, that's an interesting idea. So we took orders. And then my mother, God bless her, would drive uh, on Sunday morning at like five in the morning to Kate's Bagels in Chelsea. Ah. Pick up fresh, hot bagels. And we would pack them up by the number that the people ordered. This one ordered half a dozen. This one ordered a dozen. Somebody ordered just a couple and so forth. And we delivered them at five cents a bagel. I think it cost us three cents a bagel. And there was a 10 cent delivery charge. So did it in our little wagon, and we were rich for kids. I was I was going to ask, you know, where did the bagels come from? But Katz's is, uh, or Kate's, as you say, excellent, excellent choice. They, they're not around anymore, that particular store, are they? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. We I grew up in Chelsea the first couple of years of my life. We lived right around the corner from Kate's Bagels. So we were quite uh, familiar with it. I'm not sure if, I think they are around. Actually. Well, if they are, then it's, it's you, me, and them. <laughs> We've survived. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got a very interesting career uh, that is still going going strong, and I want to talk to you about your youth and upbringing and the fact that you sort of had this showbiz thing going on at a very young age. Am I right? You know, I was thinking this morning that I'm really not interesting enough to be interviewed. I'm, I'm sitting there saying, why does Jordan want to interview me? So what I did instead, you're going to love this. <laughs> what I did instead, I read part of your book again, and I decided – Although it's your show, nobody's ever interviewed you on your show, right? Is that right? Uh, not on this podcast, podcast? No, right. no, okay. no. So here we go. I'm going to interview you on this podcast. Oh. Ready? The tables are turned. Let's turn the tables. <laughs> All right. I'm becoming the host. Now, I just left my show at WMEX. We can say on the call letters because you're online. Yes, right? yes. I left uh, the show at WMEX. We had a year over there. We had our one-year anniversary show. We were doing a talk show on nostalgia and 50s and 60s. Well, you were on it. I loved it. It was a great experience and a wonderfully entertaining show, by the way. It was fun. And we're looking for a new home for it. Those of you uh, radio station executives who are listening, the number is uh, 254-5678. Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. (laughs) That's the old BZ number before the, uh, the area code was necessary. Anyway... Nine three one ten thirty. Wasn't that a number two? That is what we call affectionately the contest line. Uh, huh. But but you're 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 in the right ballpark. I think the new one All is right. two five four ten thirty. But the, people are wondering what the hell are we talking about? That's the fabled phone number to WBZ talk shows. 
But what? I, so you want to interview me? Okay, I'll give yes, you. I'll I'm give you a few to seconds to to do that. I had a show on WMEX up until June sixth, and uh, th- that was the end of the show. We're looking for new home, as I say. But you were a guest on the show, and I last Sunday was the first day I didn't do the show for a year. This uh, past Sunday, the thirteenth. Yes. Uh, the uh, yeah, the thirteenth, which was the anniversary of my bar mitzvah. I was so excited that I was going to have a show on the anniversary of my bar mitzvah, but. The station line. I, I don't know how to break this to you, Bob, but June sixth is my birthday. <laughs> it, oh, you know what? I saw that somewhere. Where did I see that? I feel terrible now that on my birthday your show ended. I just don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> I also asked you to be a guest on the show since you and Kenny were guests on the show several months ago. I wanted to have you on for the one year anniversary, but you pulled played the old birthday card and said I can't. I, yeah. Ten people are taking me out or some to thing. Uh, what, what did you do for your birthday? I did nothing. I stayed home and went to bed early because I just didn't want to be involved with you. No, I'm kidding. I, I just did the usual things. I had dinner out and uh, had a great time. Uh, before you ask me any questions, uh, you are uh, a wag and a jokester, so I'll, I'll try to cut through a little bit of this, at least for the introductory portion of this uh, podcast. You also have a serious side that we'll get to. We'll talk about the Beacon Hill roll call you did. Briefly, before you ask me anything, talk about talk radio, because you did it at, of course, uh, MRE, which is 1510 in the old days, RKO, MEX, as you say. What was your favorite stint doing talk? Uh, Perhaps you don't understand the meaning of turn the tables. I'm going to interview you. All right, I'll shut up. It's my show, but I'll just shut up now. At the beginning, and here's the opening jingle. Oh, play, please, play, play. What's not playing? (laughs) You'll have to put this in in post, I believe. I'll put it in post. All right. So that's the jingle. That's the jingle to the show. And here we are on the Bob Katzen Show on the Jordan Rich Podcast. But whoever thought that would come together like that, right? I feel like an EMT. I'm sur- <laughs> helping you survive another day. This is great. All right. So you're way more interesting than I am. And, of course, I read your book from cover to cover, uh, My 50-Year Love Affair with Radio by Jordan Rich. With the Stephen A. White and forward by Peter Casey. Stephen A. White is the same guy who did the Paul Uvino's book. Is that correct? He did, and he's doing um, another friend of mine. You may know him, Alan Dines, who's a very fine photographer. He's doing his book, uh, and he's uh, he's he's a workhorse and a great guy. Yeah. So I should be writing a book, you think? Bob, you have so much material in that head of yours, in that cranium of yours. So much material and so many experiences, which is why. Uh, I, I feel sad that I can't ask you any questions because I'm on the hot seat. So go ahead, ask me anything. You're on the hot seat. All right. Okay, now, so 50 years in radio, that makes you how old, Jordan? I'm 87 years old, and uh, I, I've discovered the, the tonic, the fountain of youth. Actually, tonic, it's uh, Cots orange soda. <laughs> I think it's a Geritol. I, I was going local there. <laughs> <laughs> Fanta was the best orange ever. Fanta, yes. Fanta, oh my God, that was the best. Uh, all right, so 50 years in radio. So the first question you're going to ask me is how did you first get interested in this business? How far back does it go? I know your book started at uh, high school and also doing a sort of show on your own in your bedroom kind of thing. Everyone that I know uh, has done shows in their bedroom by themselves, uh, but they're not <laughs> all necessarily related to radio, I realize that. Uh, we lost control of this thing when I just said hello to Bob, so why not go for it? No, I, I probably like you. I'm, I'm bringing you back into this whether you like it or not. I got the bug by listening to radio uh, at night under the covers trying to get to sleep. And unlike uh, some people, I, I wasn't listening to the disc jockeys doing the, the rock and roll. I was listening to the folks talking. I thought that was fascinating, especially those from other cities. So. And how old were you then? Oh, seven, eight, eight. I had the, the radio from uh, from Japan, whatever make it was, with a little earpiece from Radio Shack, and I was set to go. Ball games, talk shows, things like that. You know, Radio Shack is celebrating its 100th anniversary. I get emails from them all the time, 100 uh, years ago. If that's the case, where can I find one? <laughs> <laughs> there aren't any. I think they're just online now. Oh, they're just celebrating. Okay. They're, yeah. still, well, they're still selling stuff. They because sell I have a battery card, and I'm still trying to get that filled out for the month. <laughs> 
you might be able to do it because they are selling online. You can buy stuff. They still have all the old school stuff they send me, you know, AM, FM, radio. Oh, that's cool. I did not know that. My goodness, I did not know that. Soldering kits and, and all that stuff. So when you were seven, you were listening to talk radio. Did they stick a sign, your friends on your back that said, kick me, I'm a nerd? Uh, you know, they might have because I got kicked a lot and I never looked back there. I, I don't know whether that was the case, but I didn't I, – I hid my nerdness, if you can say it that way, my nerdiness. That's it. Um, and the way I did that was uh, by playing around with my voice. I, my voice dropped at my bar mitzvah and I was able to uh, vaguely impersonate teachers and – other students, so I got myself out of a lot of trouble. So didn't get kicked as much as I could have. Ah, all right. Yeah. Did you have toilet paper on the bottom of your sneaker walking around and stuff like that? I thought that was the way you're supposed to walk around. I, I still have it. <laughs> what are you talking about? I st- I, isn't that the, the fashion style? Yeah. Isn't that the fashion sense? <laughs> have you seen some of these toilet paper ads on TV? It's like they have the uh, Charmin Bears or something. It's just they've gone too far with advertising toilet paper. On well, the the Mr. Whipple there is uh, is long gone. It's a shame because, uh, of course, he'd be arrested on all kinds of flagrant charges today just just <laughs> yeah. for being who he was. Um, right. So you broadcast around your house. Tell tell me about that. Oh yeah, I had a tape recorder that I I wrote about it. It was with green stamps, and I used to record everything. Uh, did you have a tape recorder when you were my age at that point? I- had a reel-to-reel, a Wallensack. There you go. Or Wally, as we call them, right? Yes, the best, the best. So could you broadcast around the house? I had a little crystal kind of thing where I could actually go on radios around the house. And I would make my family listen. No, that's the one thing I never did. I never built my own little radio contraption because I can't build anything. And I, I really rely on engineers to do that. But, uh, but I did get a kick out of – oh, see if you remember this, Bob – using – and, and this is the term, alligator clips. Do you know what those are? Of course, because yep. later on, not that I use them, but friends would use them as roach clips later on in life. Uh, see that? I, I'm such an innocent waif. I never knew that. But, <laughs> but alligator clips would allow you to send sound on a tape recorder through the phone, usually a pay phone, and you'd have to unscrew the mouthpiece. So that leads me back to you for a second, just for a moment. Um, the Beacon Hill Roll Call, the serious side of Bob Katzen. Tell everybody what that's all about, because you did that for years. So you got your start at Curry College. You don't want to talk to me. Curry. You don't want to. You really have <laughs> so this. Turn the tables completely on you. Okay. You all right. <laughs> but you're participating in the shtick by keeping, uh, you continuing to try to turn it. Well, like, I'm just I'm just acting the, the professional, but that's acting, so. <laughs> So, yes, Curry College. Is that what you wanted to know? Curry College. You and, is that where you met Ken Carberry? Yes. Ken is – I mentioned him on every podcast because, you know, we're romantic – no, we're not romantically connected. Uh, he's my part. Is there anything wrong with that? Exactly. These days, it, it, they can't believe we're not. But uh, <laughs> we – thank you. But we are uh, very much uh, a team, and we've been a team since the late 70s, uh, longer than – Martin and Lewis or Rossi and Martin and or whatever. Rossi and Martin. Rossi and uh, Alan. Alan and Rossi. So anyway, <laughs> you got me all vermished here, Bob. I want to tell you, you really did a great job. So, yeah, we've been together a long time doing production, doing uh, radio work and marketing and so forth, having a great time, still enjoying it very much. But I got the start at Curry College where, you know, you were able to work hands-on as a freshman. And uh, how about you? Did you have higher ed uh, in your past that helped you? So at uh, WMLN, which was the Curry College Station, Guys you read lines from the National Enquirer I read in your book. Is that true? Oh, yeah. We stole from everybody. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you when, at 18? Uh, but I, as, as an old soul, I mean, I really enjoyed old showbiz. So the stuff we were doing on, on air at a little 10-watt radio station was – vaudevillian compared to what the kids understood or wanted to hear. So, uh, you know, we weren't too popular on campus. <laughs> also, to go along with your nerdness from when you were seven, you had a classical music show. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I, first of all, love classical music. And uh, call me call me goofy, nerdy. I think it's uh, 
you know, Mozart is still being heard. I don't know if uh, Demi, <laughs> Demi, Lo, Demi Lovato is going to be around for 300 years. But um, yeah, I did a, my first show was uh, classical music. And what was great about that, and, and Bob, who will not comment on anything that I ask him, uh, knows what it means to run a control board and play records and be a disc jockey. Uh, it's very difficult to be a disc jockey first time out when there are 45 spinning around so quickly and ending so quickly. So when you're playing symphonies that are 20 minutes long, you do everything in slow motion. So that's how I learned everything about running the board. And for those of you who aren't old and don't know what a 45 is, that's the 45 record. It's the smaller version of the album that has the hole in the middle. Right. Not the one that you fire off and uh, and cause mayhem. That's a different kind of 45. No, but it's... You, uh, <laughs> by the way, do you still have do you still have the adapters floating around in your desk drawers? You won't answer that, but I bet you do. No, I, this is the one question I'll answer because I'm just going to tell you a story. First of all, well, you can't see me on the Zoom. I can see you the Zoom, as we call it. I have a necklace that is a 45 adapter, a silver 45 adapter, and it's a great conversation piece. That, I imagine, today would be, because so many people are living for the moment. If it wasn't happening while I was alive, it didn't happen, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of kids think it's, is that a Star Wars or a Superman shape or some religious thing? And I say, no, no, it's a 45 adapter. And then the kids say, a what? Yes. And it's hopeless. I think you should go with the uh, Orthodox Jewish symbol of <laughs> of virility. I think you ought to use something like that. Oy vey. So <laughs> you love this. Jordan, as we, I want to talk about with you as well, you were a uh, mobile disc jockey for many years doing what we called record hops. Uh, yes, what we called record hops, because Bob Katzen, who will not answer any questions from me, <laughs> says here in my notes, was uh, doing this mobile disc jockey thing since 1966, which means... You weren't even there doing them with eight tracks. You were so, uh, you were such a pioneer, Bob. But yes, I did uh, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of gigs, as we call them, and uh, learn a lot about human nature, don't you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now you'll you'll love this story. I might have told you and Ken this story when you were on my show, but make believe I'm telling it for the first time. In case you're very good at acting. Right? Absolutely, got it. So uh, this was back in the 60s. We're still playing, maybe the 70s or 80s, actually. We're still playing some 45s because not everything was easy to get on on tape. You know, there was tape then, too, the mm. uh, eight track but the uh, cassette tape. Sure. Okay. So the kids used to steal. We did a lot of bar mistress. The kids would steal the 45 adapters for their home stereos and so forth. And one night we were packing up and we looked around and we were all out of the extras. They stole the extras. They stole the regular ones. And we had a gig the next day. And you can have all the expensive equipment in the world to be a mobile disc jockey. If you don't have the 45 adapter, it's all over. <laughs> the thing's just going to swim around the turntable. Yes. So I called uh, Tower Records at the time. And a young woman in her 20s or so answered the phone and said, hello, Tower Records. And I said, hi, do you carry 45 adapters? And she said, sir, this is not a gun shop. We don't sell She guns. actually went with the gun motif. Okay. And, with, and, and I said, you're kidding, right? She said, no. And she hung up. She actually thought I was asking about some kind of attachment for 45 revolver. I said, she's, I'm really real old or she's really young or both. I ended up at Skippy White's where you could buy oh, all yeah. 45 adapters you want. We bought about 100 of them. So we never run out again. One story on that. Uh, we lost an adapter as well, and the gig was about to start, and we couldn't find the adapter. So uh, uh, we fashioned an adapter out of a paper plate. We, <laughs> we cut a paper plate, a, a, a circle in the paper plate, and sort of created a three-dimensional little tabletop. And uh, son of a gun if it didn't work, you know. I mean, maybe a few of the tunes were a little wobbly, but we got through the gig, and no one knew. <laughs> As the grassroots said, where were you when I needed you? I needed yeah. <laughs> you to do that for me. Now, today, of course, they're not doing 45 adapters, building actual guns out of Xerox machines or whatever that. Yes, yes. Uh, 3D guns. Or... 3D uh, manufacture of everything. So right. will they 3D manufacture a phonograph and a, and a needle? I'm sure they can do that, too. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me your funniest record hop story of a guest or around a lot of my funny. Well, mine's an embarrassing story, but they're funny because I can laugh at myself. 
And this has happened to uh, to a great many performers, and and uh, maybe you have a comment on it as well, Bob. I was doing a, uh, I think it was a graduation party for a big family, hundred people, indoors at a KFC style place. Uh, I worked every KFC as you probably have, and uh, a gentleman comes up and says, "Could you play the anniversary waltz for my uh, my aunt and uncle, Aunt Bessie and Uncle Ned, or whatever?" I said, sure, I'd love to. Where are they uh, sitting? He said, well, they're in the corner in the back. I said, okay. So I put the song on, and as it's queuing up, I did a very nice tribute to the 50th wedding anniversary of Ned and and Sophie or whatever their names were. And I said, "Uh, this is for you from your family. And I start playing the song, The Anniversary Waltz. And no movement from, uh, from the two of them. And I said, oh, come on now. Let's, let's just get up there. You can... You can ask him if you'd like, if it's easier. I mean, just a few seconds on the dance floor for a picture. I went through 45, 50 seconds during the song trying to get them up, and I start to see people whispering to each other, and uh, then finally a woman sort of pointed in their direction, and I got the idea something was up. The uh, The wife of 50 years was legless. Oh, my God. Yeah. And... Nice of them to tell me. Nice of the guy who set me up to tell me, by the way, don't ask them to dance. So that was embarrassing. It happened to the current president when he was uh, vice president. He did the same. Come on, stand up out there. What's the matter with you? Guy had no legs. I've seen that clip. <laughs> well, mine was a similar one, but hearing yours makes mine sound like it's it's nothing. I was DJing the wedding of our mutual friend, Alan Tolles. Oh, I know Alan. Of course. Love him. And um, uh, he was it was a second marriage for him, uh, and his new wife's name was Debbie. And uh, I did the gig, and I had a couple of drinks, I guess. And somebody came up, probably the same person who set you up, mm. came to me and said, uh, "Can you play some oldies?" I said, "Sure." And she said, "Would you play Sherry by the Four Seasons?" I said, "Sure, I love Sherry, love the Four Seasons." So I put it on, and the uh, new wife, Debbie, comes screaming up to me because I forgot Sherry was the name of Alan's first wife. And now he's getting married to a new wife, and I'm playing Sherry and dedicating it to Alan. Oh, (laughs) equally embarrassing and perhaps uh, dangerous. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's, you get stuck in those situations, and you can't go anywhere. You're stuck right there in the middle of the floor. Um, But that's why we sign on for the tough assignments, right, Bob? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We're tough. Now, one of my favorite parts of your book is working out of the broom closet at the airport. Could you elaborate on that? Yes, I worked out of a broom closet. I'm very proud to say uh, I was a meteorologist, not a meteorologist, but an assistant to the meteorologists at the airport working for WRKO Radio in Boston. And I was allowed to gather information on weather from the weather prognosticators, the guys who knew it was going on, where we actually get all of our weather still from from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And my job was to relay information directly from them to the radio station. And it started out a uh, pretty easy gig. I mean, I just taped three or four pieces and sat there for three hours. But then I became more involved. But the, the structural setup was a supply closet. I call it a broom closet. There was a broom in there. And uh, they wired in um, a microphone and a Shure mixer. You know what that is, Bob. You've seen enough of those. And I literally had that same earpiece that I used when I was a kid in my in my bedroom listening to Fire Off Radio. That was my headset. Plugged it in, and I was off to the races. And every once in a while, I'd be on live with the DJ back in Boston uh, at at the radio station. And one of the weather guys would come in. And I'd hear this, hey, where'd you put the three-hole punch? You know, or something like that. They were looking for supplies, and it didn't matter. I was in there talking. They didn't know or care. So it was a, it was, but it, it was a humbling experience, but a very good one, because uh, I actually learned to um, really ad-lib pretty quick on my feet, because I had to. And it was uh, it was a thrilling experience to be on RKO, a big fifty thousand water back then. And you were promoted after that. You got into the studio doing morning. I was promoted. I ended up working with some of my radio heroes. I read about Norm Nathan and others uh, back then, and 
ultimately, uh, that led to me going north. Uh, when that ended, uh, up to the almost the New Hampshire line, and then making it back to Boston to WBZ about uh, well twenty six, almost twenty seven years ago. How long were you at uh, Wish, as we call WSSA? Yeah, it was a dull contemporary station. I was there 15 years, three owners, f- uh, six general managers, maybe seven or eight program directors. It's kind of like a baseball player who sits on the bench and just outlasts all the managers. It was great yeah, fun. That's right. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so are we going to find out anything about you, or are you just a guy who shows up and asks me questions? I'm just showing up and asking you questions. Okay. So now, then you made the big time at WBZ. Let's talk about that because that was really the big time. Well, Plus, it, your it, hero was Norm Nathan. My hero, and I had several others. I had, uh, you know, for those local listeners, I had heroes like Gary Lapierre, who I ended up befriending, and David Brudnoy, a very famous local talk show host, and so many others. And uh, yeah, I got the gig, uh, I, like anything else, faded by accident. And ended up working, and and when when you tell people you work the overnight shift at midnight, <clears throat> most people would say, "Why would you do that? Isn't that a step down to work those hours?" Uh, quite contra- uh, au contraire, it was absolutely fabulous to work those hours because uh, BZ's signal traveled to thirty-eight states in Canada. This is pre-internet, and it was like living a dream. Just so much fun. What year, what year did you go to BZ? 95, 1995. And uh, it was, I actually said at the time, if I just work one night and say I did it, I'll be happy. <laughs> I said that. You able to put BZ on your resume. There yeah, you that, that's all, just to say I did it. Because growing up in this area, um, it, it, it was the station of, of note, I mean, for the school announcements for the news breaking, for the for the music, let's face it, for the DJs. Uh, who were your DJs listening? Who were you listening to? Bruce Bradley back then? And uh, I was listening to Jordan Rich. Well, come on. You don't have to be so <laughs> freaking self-serving, yeah, Bob. Carl DeSouz, Dave Maynard. Uh, those are probably two of my, uh, my favorites. And then with all the guys at the MEX and RKO uh, as well. And, well... And I- Go ahead. No, I was going to say I worked at RKO for many years, and there were just a wonderful group of guys and uh, and a few ladies, too, uh, who were breaking through. When you were there, who was the guy? Uh, Mike Adams, who just retired a few years ago. Yeah. Um, a fellow by the name of Scott Burns who's out on the West Coast, one of the most – actually a former guest on the podcast and a brilliant voice guy. Um, mm-hmm. A fellow named uh, Dennis John Bailey, or DJB. He was, I think, from Kentucky, a real Southern boy. And the great Charlie Van Dyke, who uh, in, in radio circles is considered, you know, one of the top 10 of all time. So uh, I had a really terrific group of uh, individuals to to learn that from. Is a, uh, that is a great group. Was uh, Phil Durkin there when you were there? Not? No, not when I was there. I don't believe so. And Dale Dorman? Dale Dorman left to go to, I think it was WVBF at the time, an FM station, about a month before I arrived. But I got to know Dale a bit later on uh, towards the end of his days, and what a nice man he is. And we were able to get a studio, uh, his his home studio equipment, which was top flight, donated to Massasoit College in his name. So it's it's now there as a living sort of testament to him, and it's a working, functioning studio. Oh, sweet! Mm-hmm. What got, which which leads me into your your work with charities over the years. In fact, your book, which is available, kids, on Amazon.com. That's Amazon.com. It's my fifty-year love affair with radio by Jordan Rich. It's a great book. I read it uh, before I had Jordan on my show uh, about six months ago. So it's a great. Great book, very warm and, and funny and the serious parts as well. But all all the profits from the book, for instance, are going to children's hospitals. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. I mean, I, I'm happy. To, I don't need the money. I'm very happy to uh, to do something to continue to support this great institution. I did it while I was on air at BZ for, for a couple of decades. It was the station's charity, and I sort of became the unofficial ambassador and I loved it absolutely loved it saw the good that's done there every day so yeah um, 
Listen, uh, all kidding aside, and we've been kidding a lot this hour, this uh, segment, uh, if you if you have the, your health and if you're in good shape and you can give back, there's no greater feeling in the world. You know this, Bob. You've done so many charity events yourself. So it's it's a small service that we can offer, those of us in this business. We have big mouths. We can promote stuff, <laughs> get people to uh, get excited about a charity or a foundation. And uh, just to know that you're leaving a legacy that's somewhat more uh, grounded and, and has more actual concrete results is, is really very, very self-satisfying. Do you have any uh, story from uh, Children's Hospital from your work there, personal story? Oh, man. I, we used to do the telethons every year, the radiothons, mm-hmm. and that was, that was always great fun. But, no, I, I, visiting the hospital um, on occasion, not often – Thankfully, because my kids were healthy and are healthy, but visiting the uh, hospital on occasion, walking the wards and seeing the tiniest of babies, you know, in NICU that were probably not going to make it had they been anywhere else. I mean, they were very unlikely to survive, but for the incredible talent of the doctors and the incredible equipment and research. So it just um, it reassures your faith. But it also reminds you that uh, the most innocent among us are oftentimes victimized by things that are totally beyond anyone's control. And if we turn our back on them and the parents, oh, my God, I met so many parents who uh, gave up their lives for their kids and who wouldn't, right, if you really love your kids. So it's a very, very moving experience, and I'm thrilled to be part of it again. It just uh, breaks your heart when it's it's kids. My wife's late mother— would always say, I'd say, I'm having a bad day or something. She'd say, you want to know what a bad day is? You go spend an hour at Children's Hospital and see what a bad day is. That's true. Um, I would only only add to that that bad days often become better days because of Children's Hospital, but you're right right about that. That's true. Yeah, that just stuck in my head for a, uh, for a long, long time. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm looking at all these things that I never talked to you about. That's Don't true. touch that dial. Um about uh, you winning the induction into the New England Newspaper and Press Association Hall of Fame uh, uh, 46 yeah. years late, you say? Blah, blah, blah. You know, this is just a trick for you to have me on again. <laughs> I respect a man who's wily and crafty like that. That's really good. Now, we're going to do a quick lightning round. At the end of Jordan's book, the book is great, but he also, you read the list of guests that he's had, and it's like a who's who of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. It's amazing. We're going to do a quick lightning round where I'll just mention the actor or actress or sports figure or whatever, and you give me a quick, uh, you okay. know, nice time. Yeah, we have a time for that, yeah. Okay, so let's start with Ed Asner. These are all people who have been on George's right. show. Uh, crusty, uh, very, very snarky, but a sweetheart, a teddy bear. I I'd interviewed him even recently in the last year or so. And uh, if you play into his game, if you're afraid of him, he doesn't appreciate it. If you play into his game and give it right back to him, he's great. Love him. Sort of like the Lou Grant character. Very much like Lou Grant. Very much like Lou Grant. All right. The the, uh, uh, icon Kirk Douglas. That was one of my proudest moments because he was 100 years old. He had the stroke 10 years prior. And he had come out with his last book of uh, love poetry. He was a very fine writer, and um, I got the only radio interview, and I did it knowing it would be difficult for listeners to to hear and understand him, so I was very patient, and I taped it in advance and then edited it uh, and worked a sort of a creative approach to it so that it, it made perfect sense, and, and he sent me a personal thank you note, which was really nice. How did you manage to snag him for radio interviews? Uh, uh, one particular publicist, I work with a lot of them, uh, th- thought of all the people out there, I would be the the one because I knew I knew everything about him. But I also have that sort of hard to believe talking with you. I know, but I have that very sweet and sensitive side, <laughs> and and understanding, you know, and I respect for somebody that age. So, and it's well hidden. It's extremely well hidden. Yes. Mike Farrell from uh, MASH, who played BJ. Oh, Mike Farrell uh, introduced me to Father John O'Donohue. I never met the late Father John O'Donohue, but became a fan of his philosophy. Uh, Great guy, very uh, active in terms of causes and so forth, and 
quite frankly, I, I don't agree with all of his views on all subjects, but I respect him. And by the way, a, a married to, you know who he's married to? I, uh, yes, I actually do. He's married to Valerie Harper. Now I made that up. I no, Shelley Fabre, I believe. Oh, she, yes, you're right, yeah. Shelley Fabre. And Valerie Harper is not on the list, I don't think, but I, she, another doll. I met her and interviewed her. I don't know if she's on the list. Yes, I see her on the list. She's since oh, yes. passed away, if I recall. Okay. Yes, she I, has, I sadly. Um, yeah, and Nanette Fabre, she was, uh, no, Shelley Fabre, right? Who's married to or Nanette? No, uh, Shelley Fabre, the oh, younger okay. one. I think a niece of Nanette or something. And she was in uh, the uh, Donna Reed show. Uh, yes, I believe you're right. Yep. And she had a huge hit, the name of which was? Oh, um, see, this is where I, I show my weakness when it comes to music. <laughs> you can edit this out and post. What is it? <laughs> uh, Johnny Angel. Oh, Johnny Angel, of course. Yes, and yes, yes. She yes, didn't yes. want to sing at all. They said, we're going to make a hit record with you. And she said, I really don't want to sing. She said, and they said, it's like read on Wikipedia, so it must be right. <laughs> like being on the Donna Reed show, she said, yes. They said, well, you'll be singing this song. And sure enough, she had like a huge... By record. the way, Donna Reed, in my estimation, sexiest, one of the, one of the top three sexiest women in Hollywood. I would agree with that. Just Absolutely. thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> Absolutely, she was. Uh, she was. She was great. Uh, all right, more. We're, we're doing a lightning round with uh, Jordan Rich on the uh, Bobcats and Baby Boomer and Gen X show on WMEX, but I'm not on anymore, so I'm making believe I'm still I'm, on. The- I'm. This is like make a wish for you, Bob. So I'm happy to do it. <laughs> Liza Minnelli was on your show. Tell us about Liza with a Z. Liza with a Z. Going in, you expect somebody like Liza Minnelli to be total diva, somebody to be challenging, absolutely opposite. One of the sweetest, kindest people, at least in terms of interview, I, I'd ever met. I, we instantly clicked, and I loved her. Loved her. Wow. I would guess I would guess the whole diva thing. That would have been my guess. That was my thought going in, so don't be judgmental. You, you know, you can't really tell. Oh, absolutely. The funniest Liza Minnelli joke, and you can cut this out in post if you want, but... It was Jay, Jay Leno did it, so it can't be that bad. Jay wasn't a risk taker. Uh, remember, she was married to David somebody? Oh, yes, yes, for about a week and a half, yes. Yeah, for about a week and a half. And the rumors were around that he was gay. This mm-hmm. is when you know, being gay was like, oh, my God, somebody's gay. It was, you know, wasn't cool to be gay back then. Anyway, Jay Leno said, people are asking if he's gay. Of course he's gay. He met her at a Liza Minnelli concert. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the best. Jay I can see joke. Jay telling that joke. Me and Minnelli and Liza Minnelli contest. Exactly. Not a bad impression. Leonard Nimoy. All Let's right. Start. Now you're talking real hero worship because I'm a huge Trek fan. And uh, he was very nice to chat with. Very in, in, thoughtful guy. And, of course, you being from Boston, me being from Boston, there's that connection that Leonard Nimoy and, and we have. And uh, that was always good. And the other connection was he actually knew my dad growing up, and they appeared together on an episode of Community Auditions, Star of the Day. Who will it be? So they knew each other as as youngsters, as young late teens. And that was a real nice connection. But he was great. I, I ended up interviewing just about everybody from the original Star Trek cast. Now, how cool is that? Give or take. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? The danger is you don't want to become like super fan and start talking about um, episode details that any (laughs) actor would forget as soon as he did it. You know, (laughs) there was a Saturday Night Live sketch. I think it was Shatner himself was on it. Yeah, that's classic. Replicated a Star Trek convention. Yep. And somebody from the audience said, you know, in episode three, what was on the side of the thing of the thing and the thing and what number? And Shatner just says, what's the matter with you? It's a TV show. Move out of your parents' basement. That's Kiss right. a girl. Get a life. It's a famous famous SNL skit and one of the best. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, all right. Now, tell me about Mickey Rooney. I'm, I'm a big Mickey Rooney fan from way back. Well, Mickey Rooney appeared with Ann Miller in a show called Sugar Babies in mm-hmm. Boston. And it's where we met, we met Mickey Rooney. I was not one-on-one with him. There was a... Of several reporters and interviewers so it was sort of a group thing but 
he made the greatest entrance of anybody I've ever met in my travels. There's a long staircase at the, well, it used to be the Wang Theater. Now it's the Box Center. It's a classic old, standard uh, classic old theater with beautiful marble everywhere. And, and there's this long um, staircase with a, with a staircase railing, of course. He slid down the banister, basically, you know, <laughs> and, and that's, he was in his 70s at the time. Wow. And he was crazy. He was totally off the wall. <laughs> and the show called for that, so maybe he was in character. Mickey Rooney, I love him, love him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick Van Dyke, one of my heroes. I love Dick Van Dyke. Tell me about him. Me too, and I actually had a dream before I interviewed him a year or two. I Actually, he's the only person I ever dreamed about actually interviewing. And I never, wor- I, I didn't pursue it at all. I just thought, well, uh, that's interesting because I think the world of him. And then a year later, he was doing some kind of promotion for something, and I was able to get him. Uh, terrific. He's 95 now, I believe. Still active, still performing when when he can. And, um, you know, he was a – he is an alcoholic, and for years he hid that. And it's remarkable when you look at the show, the Dick Van Dyke show, he did perform oftentimes – hiding his problem, but uh, just a great, warm, sweet guy. Um, and yeah, uh, my dream came true. Did you tell him that you had dreamt about interviewing him? As a matter of fact, I did. I said, don't you, I said, please don't take this the wrong way, Mr. Van Dyke. But, and he, he chuckled. He thought it was, he thought it was cute. Yeah. Now, speaking of the Dick Van Dyke show, you uh, interviewed another one of my heroes, Carl Reiner, who of course uh, did many things, but on the Dick Van Dyke show played uh, uh Alan Brady. Yeah. Uh, Carl Reiner was one of my highlights, and I actually talked to him twice for different projects, and it would be like sitting down with a great philosopher, a Greek philosopher of some note, because here's one of the kings of comedy, and and such a thoughtful guy and such an interesting guy who wrote a lot of books for kids. Um, certainly directed movies. Talk about a renaissance man. And uh, it was a thrill and a half. I always said to myself, I'm this close to the guy who was that close to Mel Brooks. <laughs> so how could you not love that? I never talked to, I've not yet talked to Mel Brooks, but Kyle Reiner was, was amazing. We did, a, I think, a two-hour show with him, just nonstop, let him go. Well, now I'm feeling close to Mel through you, to Carl Reiner, to Mel Brooks. So I, yeah, six know. degrees of Jewish separation is what this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, we've Dr. got – no, not we, but you've got time for maybe uh, maybe another three minutes or five, five minutes before the clock runs out. I just wanted to let you know since this is now your show. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're the producer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I could do a couple more and then a couple of other questions. Don Rickles, I'm fascinated uh, as to what your impression of Rickles was. Oh, you want me to hear? Uh, you want to hear a Don Rickles impression? Do you dumb oh, hockey yeah. puck? No. Please do that. Yes. Um, yes everyone knows Don Rickles and what he did and his shtick and all that. Everyone who knows anything about him also knows he's not like that at all. But a a, a thrill, as thrilling as it is to have a sandwich named after you at a deli, and I'm I would imagine Bob Katzen at Katzen's Deli somewhere is a sandwich. <laughs> Is to have Don Rickles insult. <laughs> have Don Rickles insult you. So, I did two things with him. I did a phone interview with a couple of phone interviews with him over the years, and he would throw the typical Don Rickles. What are you, some kind of a schmuck? That kind of stuff. And then um, at the South Shore Music Circus in Cohasset, it was a setup, and I didn't know it. I would. I had interviewed him a couple of days before for the radio, and get to the show. And apparently what they would do is tell Don to, you know, who's in the audience, pick a name, and here's the section he's in. So in the middle of the show, Don Rickles is killing, and I'm just falling over. I hear, where's Jordan Rich? And I, huh? And I, stand up, stand up. And he just insulted me for 60 seconds, and it was the greatest feeling in the world. I loved him. He was a, a, a pioneer of comedy. We'll never see the likes of Don Rickles again. Now, there weren't cell phones around then, so you don't have this on tape. No, I don't have it on tape. I don't have pictures, nothing. Uh, but uh, just be so cool to be insulted by Rickles and have it and, on your cell And the question I always have for myself is, can would Don Rickles m- survive in comedy today with the world so 
hung up on words and uh, insult comedy. I don't know. Good question. Um, the best Rickle story I ever heard, which he told it on, uh, or was it uh, Sinatra? Told it. One of them told it. Anyway, apparently Don was dating a new woman. This was years ago. And he went into a restaurant, his first date with a woman, and uh, Sinatra's there. And so he's, he uh, sits down with his date. He says, excuse me, he goes over to Sinatra and he says, Frank, I've got a new date here. I really want to impress her. Would you mind coming over to the table in a few minutes and saying hi? She'll be really impressed that I know Sinatra. Frank says, sure, Don, I'll be happy to. So he waits a few minutes. Frank finally comes over. Don and his date are eating. And Frank says, Don, how are you? <laughs> Rickle says, Frank, I told you not to bother me while I'm eating. Yeah, get out of here, Frank. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so perfect? You heard the story, but that just—I laugh every time I, uh, every time I see it. All right, that Johnny Mattis, and then one more after that. Johnny Mattis is going to be the uh, theater in Medford at the uh, what's the name of that place? And uh, oh, um, uh, uh, yeah, named after the Frenchman. I can't remember the name. Off yeah. the top of my head, we're we're old here, Bob. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the uh... Chevalier. Chevalier. Oh, yeah. Uh, Johnny Mathis is one of those guys. He's totally ageless. I mean, he's been doing this since nineteen what fifty three, and uh, I have no idea how old he is. He's he's definitely up there, but he's uh, he's just the way he appears. He's a very mellow guy and very sweet guy, and his voice is uh, remarkably. Similar to the way it was back, maybe not hit all the notes, but he's he's darn good. Uh, you know, some, Willie Nelson's another one that just never ages, really. <laughs> of course, it's a lot of marijuana <laughs> keeping him going, but uh, ageless. Yeah. Uh, and uh, finally, Caroline Kennedy, I saw her this year. Yes, that was an interesting one. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to do that at the Kennedy Library, and it was a lot like interviewing or being in the presence of royalty in the sense that, you know, everything was set up very delicately and carefully. And and I think the reason is obvious because she's a Kennedy, but also because she is delicate and fragile. Liked her very, very much. She was very sweet. But uh, I could have gone in there and, and slugged it out and asked questions that would have gotten me tossed quickly about the Kennedy curse and the Kennedy scandals. But that wasn't my intent. I was, I was not there for that reason. So we had a great conversation about things she really wanted to talk about. This is only like maybe 10 of the dozens, if not hundreds of people who are listed at the end of uh, Jordan's book, which by the way, is called My 50 Year Love Affair with Radio by Jordan Rich. It's available at Amazon, Amazon amazon.com. And all the proceeds, this is the kind of guy, Jordan, I don't want to embarrass Jordan, but he's a mensch. He's giving all the profits from the book to Children's Hospital. I mean, how many authors do that? Just... You're a mensch. I'm telling you, you're a mensch. Well, it's it's the least I can do for for people to read it is is a real honor and and for me it, again it's I I didn't do it because I needed the money. I did it because I wanted to uh, tell the story. So Bob, uh, this has been a really interesting uh, deal. I I actually studied up on you and I read your bio. I interviewed people to get the full story and I got none of it out. Oh, you interviewed people. Who did you interview? Oh, I spoke with several uh, of my sources at the FBI. I uh, talked with various uh, restaurateurs from the North End and South End. Um, I talked with uh, bagel manufacturers, I, I, the president of Brugger's Bagels, to get the full story on the bagel thing, and I got, I got nothing. Well, you know, I don't know if you have a rim shot you can do in post, but I did deliver bagels, but my brother and I got tired of the whole business. That's whole business. I know Sounds you know. seedy to me. I don't know. Just, <laughs> definitely. Oh, uh, I don't know. We made a lot of dough out of it, my brother. And I. Well, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. And uh, you were, as you were raising yourselves up from the. <laughs> um, let's stop right now. My all of a sudden, I realize everything I've done to this point in my career has come crashing down on this one podcast. <laughs> Now, what I'd like you to do is, and this was a funny moment on Jay Leno's show. I want you to do the same with me. He um, had Steve Martin on as a guest. You probably saw this episode. And Steve uh, was the first guest on. He's big, huge at the time. And then Jay says, as he often did with the first guest, I know you have to go. You're doing a movie or something. And, and Steve 
you know. <laughs> I know. I, I gotta go. And then uh, J, uh, J, uh, Carson, it's Carson, not, uh, I say Leno? It was Carson, I'm sorry. Carson begins to go to a break and, and Steve Martin comes out and just starts crying. <laughs> Johnny says, what's the matter? He said, I don't have to go anywhere. I just wanted to be like all the <laughs> shots who say they're going to make a movie and they oh, don't have time here. Bubba. Can I stay for the whole show? And Johnny said, you can stay for the whole show, Steve. Oh, if, if <laughs> I, I could. could do that with me. Like, Bob, we know you got to go. you got important things. If I could reach through the, the portal known as Zoom and, and patch your little keeper, I would do that, Bob. <laughs> for those who don't know, look it up. I would definitely do that. And... Um, this was fun, actually. I, I didn't see it coming. That's the best part. Absolutely. I love it. Well, Jordan and I had trouble nailing down a date, and I'm old, and Jordan's almost as old as I am, I think, and I mix dates up and this and that. And I, today, I just said, you know what? This will be fun. We'll just turn the tables on Jordan, and then maybe he'll invite me back, and I could talk all about myself. And not that I'm <laughs> that or anything. Just, you know, once is sufficient. I'm sure you have big shots on who you never Oh, have we have big on. shots all the time, absolutely. Yeah, but why would you want me twice? Because you're a you're a good good boy. You're a good little boy, you really are. And <laughs> you, you brought you, in all seriousness, folks, uh he won't like me saying this. I'll say it anyway. Bob's been a very, very uh dependable entertainer in the Boston market for many, many, many years, and a lot of people have a lot of fun when they get to know you. And you have a lot of fans out there, so I hope that they enjoyed uh, let's call this uh, a bonus episode of your show. <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm not on next Sunday either because the show was canceled. Will we do this again next Sunday? Yeah, we won't tape it, but I'll let you just talk to me for an hour. Oh. And, uh, and we'll, yeah, I'll that's just, on my bucket list too. Yeah, while I'm doing the dishes or, you know, my stamp collection, I'll just keep the phone open and uh, tell you whatever you want to hear. It's fine. All right, you little mensch, you're the best. You really are. You're a true mensch. If you don't know what mensch means, Google it and it, We'll basically say, see Rich, comma, Jordan. Oh, uh, you're too kind. Bob Katzen, thank you so much. Jordan Rich, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks again, I think, to Bob Katzen, a man of mystery who turned the tables on me, and it was a lot of fun. He continues to make a lot of people very happy. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, Ken Carberry, and all the folks at Chart Productions in Boston, where the podcast is produced. And, of course, a hearty thank you to all of those who subscribe and download the podcast. We appreciate that very, very much. And you can find out more about me, my book, On Air, my 50-year love affair with radio, with all proceeds benefiting a great charity, Children's Hospital in Boston. Find out more at jordanrich.com. Till next time, this is he saying, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.